Welcome everyone to April's author conversation for the 2021 Marginal Syllabus. The Marginal Syllabus is a project that convenes and sustains equity conversations in the margins of texts online using the social annotation tool Hypothesis. I'm Joe Dillon from the Denver Writing Project. I teach English at Gateway High School in Aurora, Colorado, and I'll be your host for the conversation. We have a panel here to discuss this month's reading, which is titled, Revealing the Human and the Writer, The Promise of a Humanizing Writing Pedagogy for Black Students. It's by Latrice Johnson and Hannah Sullivan. So I'd like to ask our guests to introduce themselves before we start talking about this piece. All right, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am Latrice Johnson. I'm an associate professor of English language arts and literacy at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. I'm also professor in residence at West High School, um, which is a local high school here in Tuscaloosa. Um, and I teach classes, usually teaching methods. Um, I do some doctoral classes and um, graduate level courses in literacy. Hi everyone, my name is Hillary Walker. I am um, currently teaching uh, African-American studies, primarily history courses uh, for the College of Alameda. And my main role is as the director of the Bay Area Writing Project. Very excited to be here. My name is Ramey Kalir. Uh, I'm an assistant professor of learning design and technology at the University of Colorado in Denver. Um, and I'm also one of the co-founders and facilitators of the Marginal Syllabus. And I'm just so thrilled to be here and so thankful to have both Latrice and Hillary uh, in conversation with us today. Yeah, thanks everyone for that. And so as we um, get ready to discuss this article, I'd love to have Latrice, who was kind enough to grant us permission to, to read this in a public space and, and uh, and join us today to discuss it. I'd love it if you would provide some background that you think readers might find interesting or anything that you think is uh, important for us to understand before we discuss it. All right, thank you so much. Um, so this article and mostly all of the articles I write actually um, come out of my position as professor in residence at the local high school here, I'm one of them. And um, when I first got my assistant professor job at UA, um, I was very lonely, very isolated. Um, I know you all know how it, how it is. Um, and I just did not feel like I was doing the work I should have been doing. I was a former teacher. I had taught in Atlanta public schools for six years. Um, I also attended Atlanta public schools and so um, there was something in me that needed more. Um, I knew that sitting in an office writing articles just wasn't going to be enough. And so, you know, after some hoop jumping and whatnot, I found myself at um, just, it's a, a high school here that serves a predominantly African-American population. And it's a mile away from our campus. And so um, I had a conversation with 
the principal and he was very welcoming. He was like, come to the school, you know, do what you want. And that kind of just turned into this kind of professor in residence thing that I talk about where I started off um, just observing, just kind of hanging out at the school, meeting people, saying hey to the students. Um, they would be asking, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? Um, and then I started to establish relationships with the administration, with teachers, with students, with families. Um, and um, I have, I've been cheerleading coach there. I've been flag corps um, co-sponsor, um, PTA president, because um, after being there for a year, um, I moved my daughter who was going to another high school to the school too. So I just felt like the space was just so affirming for who I was and, you know, what I believed as a black scholar. And so um, just one of the semesters, I had this bright idea to go to the principal and ask him if I could teach a class. And I wanted to really be able to say to the teachers, to the pre-service teachers that I was, you know, who are in my class that I, I know that, that this, this stuff works, but I had only been resting on or, or relying on my experiences as a teacher in Atlanta. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know for sure if this stuff still worked, you know? And so I wanted to just test out my teaching legs. Um, so I did, and I ended up teaching a, a semester long creative writing course. And I loved it. The, I, absolutely loved it. It was, you know, a whole bunch of kids and they were just kind of throwing kids into the class. Um, but it ended up being just such a great and generative space for me. Um, and so that class is where I kind of come to this um, article and where um, I use their stories, their writing and our experiences together to really um, formulate this idea of a humanizing writing, writing pedagogy for black students. Thank you so much. And I think um, one question I have for you is, is it seems like you, first of all, you have a co-author who mm -hmm. isn't here today, but we also wanna thank Hannah Sullivan. and. And maybe you could just speak a little bit about um, her role in helping you um, gather some data or maybe even imagine this piece. Definitely, thank you for that. Um, Hannah was my graduate assistant during um, the semester I kind of came to the work. And I wanted to make sure that I was seeing and interpreting the data, right? Um, for what it was. And so I wanted to invite someone else to help me make sense of what I was doing as a teacher. Um, like I know my stance, I know my, my, the theories that inform, you know, kind of what I think I'm doing, right? But I, I, I kind of um, used her knowledge and her expertise to really think through how to formulate an argument around this sort of teaching for students. Um, so she really was um, a part of making sense of the data and making sure, um, kind of like checking me on some of the things that I um, may have been concluding because of my subjectivity, because I am not, um, 
you know, neutral in any of this and not suggesting that she is, but she was helpful in um, talking through, reflecting on um, what I thought I was seeing and what I thought I was doing. Um, so she was very key in helping me in interpret the data and also um, locating relevant literature for um, supporting this work. And she's defended her dissertation now, so she's Dr. Sullivan. <laughs> so. Awesome. Well, thanks for that um, thorough introduction to the piece. Um, and thanks again to Dr. Sullivan for also granting us permission to, to read and discuss this work in public. So uh, um, before we jump into a discussion of the work, though, I'd like to ask um, Ramey to just say a little bit about the project that brings us all here. So we have the context for this conversation before we get into it. Yeah, thank you, Joan. Again, Latrice, thank you. And please again, do pass our thanks along to, to Hannah. Um, I also wanted to just say a belated congratulations on the award that the both of you received from NCTE for this, this piece. Um, and so for folks who, again, are either watching or listening to this uh, recording at some point, or who then again read the article as it as it's appeared as um, openly available online. Um, the, is it the Purvis Award? Is that correct, um, Latrice? Is that right? Yes, LNC yeah. Purvis Award. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just again like you know, the uh, you know Vanguard Award from NCTE for an article appearing in the Research of Teaching and Education. And just so honored that we can, again, uh, feature your scholarship uh, in, in this kind of way, um, which, you know, really brings us to the core purpose of a project, you know, like the marginal syllabus, which is, you know, again, to Latrice, get, to quote you from, from just a moment ago, you know, you said, you know, this stuff works. And we know that these types of powerful humanizing pedagogies are so important, you know, not only for educators to practice, but of course, to inform the ways in which students, as you were saying in your piece, kind of write themselves into the world and into their own narratives in critically important ways. And the marginal syllabus is a project that just helps, you know, in, in, in some small, humble way, um, connect educators and their practices to this type of high quality award-winning scholarship. Um, and so we bring together communities of educators to read work, again, like this, the piece that we're engaging with this month, um, and then to also annotate it. And so the marginal syllabus takes a very um, expansive interpretation of, of notions of marginality. Um, one is to engage with marginal kind of counter narratives to dominant inequitable narratives about American schooling. And certainly in the piece that we're reading and discussing this week, there are very important ways in which uh, countering deficit narratives around the writing abilities and the academic interests of students is core to some of what you've helped to, you know, again, bring forth in your work. Um, but also in addition to this aspect of conversation, um, moving for folks who choose to do so, the conversation into online spaces um, where we can literally mark up the article and have a conversation in the digital margins. And we do so again using a free open source technology called Hypothesis in this case. Um, but that's another venue, another location where educators can gather together asynchronously um, on their own terms to read and discuss this, this article. Um, and then the last interpretation of, of, of marginality in this respect concerns really a reimagining of what counts as educator learning and that there's a need for learning that occurs kind of in the margins of formal, dare I say, PD, where we know that there are many didactic, 
uh, mandated approaches to what counts as educator professional development. And this project, thanks to its partners, again, including the National Writing Project and the National Council of Teachers of English and Hypothesis, is trying to, in some small way, um, provide another pathway for professional learning that is justice directed and that is, in the case of this 2021 syllabus, explicitly oriented to supporting the work of Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter at Schools Coalition to advance that year of purpose in classrooms and specifically in literacy classrooms. And so that's, that's what brings this project together. Um, and it is, at the end of the day, only possible um, because of the scholars, again, like Latrice Yu, thank you again so much, and to Hannah, and also to our readers and educators, in this case, Hillary, and the networks I know that you are connected to who are coming together to read and engage with these texts. And so this project is only possible because of the, the, the time and attention that is given to us by amazing colleagues. So I'm rambling um, because I'm really just so inspired by the folks who are with us today and the work. Um, I'll leave my commentary there and I really look forward to on, on, on just digging into this article and talking about it. Terrific, thanks, Ramey. And so, uh... So where we're headed now is really an informal conversation where I know all of us have, have some notes that we've brought. You know, when I read these, these pieces for the marginal syllabus, I often make notes in the margins uh, using pen and paper before I use the technology to do so. And so I imagine Hillary has notes and things on her mind and, and Ramey does as well. So I'm curious, uh, Hillary, is there anything that stood out to you in particular or any burning um, thoughts or reflections you have about this piece that can start off our conversation? Um, sure. I mean, I there's there's so much, um, <laughs> but if I could start with one, I just thought about um, the expansiveness that this um, work invites in terms of thinking about genre. Um, I like the phrase um, linguistic registers, like what are the ways that we are asking students to um, to engage with texts, with each other and each other's texts. Um, it just seems like this really interesting um, community that it, that clearly was happening in this classroom. Um, and I, I just wanted to sort of start off, I guess it's less of a question with uh, an appreciation for that, um, to be able to clearly identify like those elements um, of that classroom in a way that can be replicated or at least invite thinking um, around it. So um, maybe I can start off with a question about um, how did you imagine this creative writing space beyond genre? This is actually a great question. And thank you so much, Hillary. Um, so I think a lot about place and school is place um, is so important and the relationship at, to, of, of school and black students is just so complicated and so complex. But if you walk into schools and classrooms, you look around and in many, in many cases, it reflects a, a, a space where you don't necessarily belong as a black person. You know, there are pictures of scholars who are white. There are pictures of presidents who are white and um, usually men. If you go into a literature classroom, there's almost always a picture of Shakespeare, right? And so 
you know, you walk into this space and nothing reflects who you are. And most importantly, it doesn't reflect the, the Black literate intellectual lineage that exists. And that is, is such an, uh, an important part of American culture and American schools. And so um, it was very important to me that um, my students knew that school is a place that they belong, that it is a place where um, they are valued. And in the classroom, I was sure to make sure that um, they felt this, that the, um, the images of authors and, you know, artists um, were there. Um, all the work that they did, even as high school students, I had students, I guess in ninth to through 11th, maybe a couple of 12th graders, I can't remember now, but I was hanging up their work, you know, their pictures were in the classroom, um, their words occupied space on the board and everywhere. There was always a record of our learning together up on the walls. And so part of what I, I needed them to understand is that they come from a rich literate history um, where so many people, so many black people have located themselves in in all kinds of bodies of knowledge that they're just not privy to and, and that schools don't necessarily reflect. And part of what we can do is start there, you know, de-white the space, um, you know, add some, some authors of color um, and not just Zora Neale Hurston or Martin Luther King, you know, but other folks who have been writing since day one, you know, um, Phyllis Wheatley, her poem, she, you know, first published African-American woman, but a lot of this isn't reflected in how students see school and it's unfortunate. And, um, but we have the power to, to change the space up, to do something different. And so, yeah, it isn't just about, you know, genre, our literate identities are tied up in so many parts of our being every day, talking to each other, um, singing, um, joning or janking, whatever the word is for the region, right? You know, uh, the dozens, I don't know, is it counting the dozens? No, throwing the dozens, whatever it is, I'm sorry. You know, okay. Um, but um, just all of these things are so tied up in who we are as literate beings, and they should be reflected in our school and where we're having to sit eight hours, nine hours a day. You know, I should be able to look up and see myself. Yeah, if you don't mind me jumping in, I, I as I take again like furious notes about this, there was a term um, at the, towards the end of your paper that I'd been sitting with for a number of days since reading it and I revisited this morning. And it may start, it, it may just now beginning to make some more sense to me, given what you've said. The, the term that you used, if I'm not mistaken, was um, epistemic privilege. Um, and the epistemic privilege of, again, the students that, that, that you were learning alongside. Um, and so when you speak of locating 
their histories and identities, as you said, in this rich lineage of black intellectual history. And then as you noted, you know, being a kind of participant within this kind of broader body of knowledge, that body of knowledge is, is embodied. <laughs> and it then perhaps embodies that, that kind of epistemic privilege that they have the incredible opportunity to continue to carry forward. In any case, I'm kind of just rambling here, but I'm trying to make, again, further sense of this beautiful term, epistemic privilege that you, you know, you help some, you know, make me aware of, and I'm, I'm having some further sense of what that means, given, given your comments. Latrice, thank you. So when I think about, you know, the epistemic privilege that, you know, our students come to school with, like, they know what they know. And, um, and also, they have the capacity to know so much more. And, and I think it's up to, you know, teachers and administrators and families and folks who are on the edge of school like me um, to remind them of those lineages, of, those, of that legacy that has been, you know, left for them and that they are definitely um, a part of even, you know, when we think about students who are hesitant to participate in the sort of, you know, literacies and book reading um, that we want them to do or that, you know, uh, curriculum mandates or standards, you know. Um, so we have to remember and we have to, um, we have to call them to remember um, that they are here and that they know and that they can do and that this is their legacy. Um, as well as interrupt some of our, our practices as teachers, you know, interrupt this um, centering of particular texts that are, you know, um, centered as or created or made to think, make us to think that they are some universal stories, right? Um, if I have to listen to a discussion around the Great Gatsby, you know, one more time, then I'm just like, uh, you know, but, you know, that's, a universal story, quote unquote, that we're supposed to all be able to connect to. And it's just not true that we we know that this, this something is different about our existence and it's okay. And, and we can lean on texts um, that reflect those differences. Um, I'm, I'm also wondering if you could talk about the inclusion of texts specifically. So you mentioned, um, centering black authors um, in the work. And so I'm wondering about what that looks like when people are including black authors, but not necessarily including practices. So if you could just talk about that a little, that'd be great. Sure. So um, for me, it's, it's not necessarily just about black authors, right? Or, or black literature or anything like that. It's just, it's, it's text is always up for reading, whatever the text is. Um, and it's also up for my reading as a black person, your reading as a black youth, your reading is, you know, and so, um, you know, while I do try to include all sorts of texts that reflect black life, black love, black joy, all of these things, all texts are up for analysis, synthesis, um, interpretation. And so even if I used to um, tell my students that I want you to 
be able to hear a song, your favorite song. They could be rapping about, you know, whatever, you know, but I want you to be able to hear and interpret the text. I want you to hear the simile, know the metaphor, know why, make connections. And so you can do this with, you know, all sorts of texts, but also, um, you know, with literature that has been left here for you. You know, so much of our stories are reflected in autobiographies of Black folks, um, Malcolm X, Frederick Douglass. Um, I don't want to just name me, but, you know, they did write a lot of autobiographies. But poetry by Black women. Um, but so much of our life is reflected in here. And there's something that we can see um, about ourselves. And if we can't, then we can also appreciate the text for its beauty, for its um, fluency, for its music. And so um, it's the text for me, you know, is not just about bringing in Black authors, but, which is super important, but it's also understanding how to read a text as a Black person. And, and being able to locate yourself in what you're reading. And sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but knowing that you have a literature and a literate lineage, then you can, you can take a great Gatsby and say, that doesn't relate to me, or I can't locate anything about me in that, which is fine, but I also can appreciate it for a, a textual thing. Um, so definitely from Cardi B to Michael Jackson to James Baldwin, um, letting Black students know that the ways that we write, the ways that we sing, the ways that we um, put our experiences out there, um, the way that we move, they're all worth interpreting. They're all worth reading. They're all um, worth valuing. And that is usually the part that's missing. Like you can read Black authors all day and not care or not really know what's happening. Um, or you can say, oh, we're going to read The Hate You Give because, you know, police brutality is a thing but you never um, include texts where black people are happy and joyful and going through like the complex everyday kind of life things um, like going to the grocery store with mom or, you know, so um, I just, so while black authors, yes, so very important, just the range and the different kinds of stories and text and nonfiction and um, scientific text, all of these things are welcome and up for interpretation and reading. Um, so um, yeah, all texts up for grabs. It, it doesn't even matter. Let's, you know, let's read up by Cardi B or whatever it is, you know, that the kids are listening to. Um, or the bluest eye, you know, so. One of the things that I very much appreciate about this piece is the way you start off um, asking the reader to imagine an English classroom where 
you then describe some really um, some commonplace modern traditional um, instructional practices, and and by the end of the piece, I really feel like the way you know the the writing you've done attends to the choices you make as a teacher. I really feel like you like it started off with one narrative of how class works, how English class can work. And then the rest of the piece presents a counter narrative in large part constructed through the choices of the teacher that are going against the traditional dominant grain of, you know, kind of what you were talking about in terms of like curricu traditional curriculum demands. And then also traditional notions of, you know, what's important as a text and these notions of correctness. And so, you know, I very much appreciated the, the way you, uh, seems like you, you lay a little bit of a roadmap for interested teachers who also might wanna make some choices against the, you know, sort of the dominant um, approaches to curriculum or instruction. And, you know, I guess my final thought about that is I really thought that when you were, you were wrapping up that, that little vignette about imagine this classroom where these traditional things are happening, you said, this is a place where the students or the teachers aren't really engaging deeply with the content. So I wonder if you'd, you'd want to say anything about that or Maybe somebody else has notes, you know, beyond my appreciation there. Well, I can speak to it um, and feel free to interrupt anyone um, with additional thoughts. Um, so part of being professor in residence um, for now seven, eight years, I've established relationships with teachers and I have been very conscious about not teacher bashing, not, you know, talking too much trash about how teachers are in their classrooms because I was there. I have, I have been a teacher who, you know, taught in a very um, impoverished area, state tests, you know, were terrible, whatever. And, but I still, and I made mistakes, you know, and I did my best. So, part of you know being there for all that time and knowing the teacher like knowing that she means the very best for her students um but still also critiquing you know having a relationship with her in a way um where i could critique like what are we doing you know what is happening in here like how can we push a little more um so being able to witness Right. And remember not only what it means to be a teacher in a space like this, but a student. And so I think of that vignette. And I remember it so vividly because I was just sitting there like, you know, wanting more and, you know, getting like close to it, but not not nearly close enough. And so um, I'm just. I'm grateful for, you know, being able to be in that space and, and be a witness to what, you know, the teacher was trying for her students, but also really thinking about how we can push our pedagogies in ways that really remind our students that they belong 
as a part of the conversation, that we're not just having these conversations around them, for them, um, making cliff notes about it, right? That they have something new and something important to add to this conversation. And so I find that writing is like the perfect way for us to locate how we fit in these conversations. Like, how do I fit in a, a glass house, glass castle, right? Um, where do I fit? But there just wasn't enough of that. And so, you know, that seeing that, but also talking back to the the teacher and also knowing in my heart what works and what is possible for black students, I just had to try. I just had to get back in there and try and, and try again and also share, you know, um, what I found with the teacher. So, you know, it's just that relationship piece is also important there, right? So that when you are invited to witness that you aren't just observing, taking notes and leaving, writing up your report and that's it. You know, it's really about changing what's happening in schools and especially for our um, black students who look around and just can't find themselves anywhere, you know, probably, and I'm not trying to, you know, create a monolithic view of black students, but anywhere, but like in the sports or, you know, um, or in detention, you know, so it's just so important that we share what we find that we, that we witness and then we, we reflect and that we share, um, just our critiques and, and what we know can work. Latrice, if, if I can follow up, because I'm so, um, well, let me say one of the things I so appreciate about our marginal syllabus conversations like this, when we you know have partner authors who can really contextualize their scholarship, is that we learn things from you today that may not have appeared in you know, this very rigorously peer-reviewed and again award-winning article you know you shared with us for example that your own daughter you know attended this school because of your participation as the professor in residence um unless i'm mistaken i don't believe that 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 detail though many others of course did appear in the piece and so now you've mentioned you know multi-year engagement and as you said you know many roles that you've played formally and likely also many informally as well within this broader community, which of course extends far beyond the brick and mortar walls of, of the school itself. Um, and so I, 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 first of all, I'm just so appreciative of kind of learning about that kind of broader um, way in which, you know, you are now situated in this kind of rich fabric of, of these various kind of learning environments. So to get then to you know Joe's observation and these questions and your your comments as well, Latrice, about engaging them with other teachers, I anticipate that you've had conversation with other educators in the school um, about the work that you've done, but perhaps also certainly the learning of of students, and particularly again their kind of writing and their writing of their identities and their writing of their narratives. And I'm just curious 
you know, given again, the kind of printed constraints of a single article, might you share with us a little, a little glimpse of any of those additional conversations maybe that you've had with other educators at the high school, kind of that reflects this expansiveness of writing and literacy um, that has really, you know, taken shape because of, of your, your efforts? Thank you so much for that question. So I, I think of several things. Um, in 2017, I published an article through RTE. It also won a prize award, sorry. But um, it was about a writing club and it focused on the queer students who were in this space because I identify as a, a black queer woman. And part of this, this space just ended up being this wonderful after school space. We ate together, we wrote together, uh, danced together, all sorts of things. Um, and a lot of teachers were afraid of the space. Um, it was very, you know, it, well, the population of students, a lot of them identified as queer um, or gay or lesbian. Um, we were playing music, like, you know, it's just a lot of things where teachers might be like, oh, what's happening in there? You know, like they're talking about gay stuff and they're playing this music and they're dancing and they're eating. Um, and so, okay, so all of that. So, but because of the relationship that I had with teachers and they trusted me as someone who um, wanted the best, for students and they've seen me year after year come back. Um, it just, it didn't become an issue. And so um, part of that space though, um, created this environment where queer students, they trusted me. And so teachers would send students to me. Um, I've had an interaction with a student that was very, um, I wrote about this too, um, very disturbing. He had, you know, cursed at a, a student who identified as gay and like had said some very um, homophobic things, but I took him and we talked and I reminded him that I'm also queer. And so it's all, so literacy, like it's everything, it's, it's the being too, right? Because they trust me as this doctor, professor, lady who talks about reading, writing and things, but also as someone who they can entrust to do right by their, by their students. And so, um, you know, it's just all of that is just a part of the development of what I have been able to do as professional residents for literacy in this space, um, including professional development, but not like, you know, didactic. And it was, you know, very interactive, but, but teachers and very dialogic, right? Because I have seen what's happening. Um, I've also practiced with them. I've taught lessons and I send my pre-service teachers to them. And this is a school um, where when I first got to UA, no, none of the pre-service teachers did their student teaching in this school because they had heard the rumors about 
the fights in the halls and the um, you know, the terrible students and they're never in class. But when I got there, kids were in class, you know, some of them may be sleep or whatever, but that happens everywhere. Um, but it was just a regular school. So being there also brought other folks to say, oh, like, oh, yes, this is great. You know, so now my white service teacher, my white pre-service teachers aren't afraid to be in this space because, you know, here we are, we've created this environment where um, this sort of exchange, this sort of trust has become a part of um, what I do as a literacy educator. Um, I, I kind of want to just have you keep going on that idea of trust because you, you, you brought it up in terms of your conversations and your relationship with teachers. And it sounds like there's a certain amount of trust that is required in order to move practice, certainly, um, but that ultimately when it comes down to it, you're, you're also arguing that we need to trust our students and trust their perspectives. Um, so I, I would love to hear more about how that can look in a classroom and how that looked in your classroom specifically. Thank you, Hillary. Um, yes, yeah, so I knew that, um, or I have witnessed um, several times how you know, researchers go into a space, research it, and then exit. Um, and so I didn't want to be that only because, <laughs> go back to this idea of trust, right? I, I, I trust the relationship that I've gotten. I mean, the, the education that I've gotten. So I went to a, a Black high school um, and was very close to my teachers. Um, I went to a... Um, HBCU, Morris Brown in Atlanta, very trust. I was at the, the house of my professors and, and really it was about relationships and talking and, you know, trusting each other in that way. Um, also, this is kind of tangentially related, but trusting what I know. And so, you know, my, my content in African-American literature, um, African-American culture, um, black writing, all of these things, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty strong in that. And so I trust that I know what I'm talking about and I trust that my ancestor knew, knew what they were talking about. So um, just so that content, having that content knowledge also allows me to be trustworthy, you know? Um, and so I don't, I'm not convincing folks to, to follow or to do telling by telling them lies like, oh, you got to learn American English and you'll be successful. Like that's a lie. And we know that we've seen that that's not necessarily true for everybody. Um, or that you have to, um, let a part of your black self go in order to be successful. Right. And so I used to straighten my hair a long time you know, to fit into at UA, right? And so um, just these ideas, so trusting that who we are is good enough for who we are. Like we don't have to be anything other than who we are. And so I show my students this, I'm, I'm the same way, you know, professionally, personally, like that you can trust that what I'm telling you, I've practiced, I've read about it, 
Um, and so, you know, part of that content too, is that I'm prepared for this. I prepared for this. Um, and I'm not just relying on what my teacher told me about the great Gatsby, the teacher to you, you know, that I'm actually still in the process of learning and doing and investigating and inquiring. And we have to, we have to model that. And so students have to trust you. And the way that you gain trust is that you be trustworthy. And that takes work. It takes you reading and writing and doing the stuff of learning and thinking and, and you know, giving them access to you doing these things, right? Modeling. Um, so that they trust that, oh, if I if I do this, then I could possibly maybe be somebody, or I could, you know, you know, they are somebody, but you know, do something more with my life, right? That isn't. You know, I have to sell a part of myself in order to reach some height, but they can be exactly who they are. Um, but that does entail knowing some stuff, doing some stuff, you know. Um, I have gone on and on about trust, <laughs> but it, I think it's such an important question, you know, and an important part of who we have to be as thinkers and learners, model learners, right? You know, we're not just teachers, but we're modeling learning. And so if we're not doing that, and if you're not really engaging in that, then yeah, students not gonna trust you for any of it. And so it's just not enough to bring in a black author that's popular on TikTok or whatever. You have to do the work too. And so when they see that children will give you their worlds, you know? They'll reveal their world, worlds to you in writing and rap and singing and dancing and twirling the flag. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I, I, this may seem like such a letdown of a question after such a beautiful response about trust. Although again, I'm just so, I'm like, I'm, all like, I'm really impressed. There's like, a, again, a kind of embodied sense of, you know, your presence in the school your connections with students again, as you were just saying, trustworthiness. So this question may just seem so trite um, and kind of obvious given the moment that we're in, but I feel as the many educators are wrestling with the various disconnections of the moment, um, you know, a year plus deep into a pandemic in which the locations of learning have shifted dramatically, but so too has that sense of trust. And I'm, I, I guess I'm curious how, you know, uh, the high school, West High School, is that right? And, and specifically, um, but also, you know, your broader community has been navigating some of the challenges of the moment, particularly, you know, really dual pandemics, we may call them multiple pandemics, you know, those of course related to public health, but also racial justice and ongoing forms of trauma that are just lingering across communities in the country at the moment. And how you've been perhaps with your colleagues been able to maintain trust when so much disconnection and perhaps mistrust um, has certainly defined this academic year? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, actually. Um, because, you know, this context has made it very difficult. Um, but, you know, being in America for these last 40 something years, um, America's always been traumatic for, 
folks. Like, you know, even at its beginning, like it started on trauma um, and violence and just, you know, hostile takeovers. And so this, so several things or a couple of things. Um, so this idea, you know, that we're going through this, you know, kind of uh, racial rising, uprising. Um, we have to deal with it, you know, in ways that are honest, authentic. Um, sometimes we can't deal with it every day, you know, because talking about it and, you know, doing the work is also stirring up trauma, right? And so you just have to be purposeful about how and when you're having um, these difficult conversations with, with students, with teachers, um, but also being understanding, you know, that, that talking to me about a standardized test in this moment just doesn't feel right. You know, when you're in a relationship with somebody you love and y'all had an argument or something that's terrible happened, you know, you're not bringing up some contractual agreement, you know, you're, you're really just dealing with the thing that's in front of you. And so, or the person that's in front of you, right? Talk about humanizing, um, you know, just interactions. So part of that is, you know, yet we're not new to trauma and to, you know, unrest in America. Um, I think that we're just at this part of the cycle where things are just like wild and people are tired um, and they're mad, they're, you know, they're upset. And so part of it is, yes, dealing with those moments, um, making sure that you're checking in with students and making sure that they're okay. Um, but, and, and not being able to be close to them also brings in another um, kind of, uh, it makes it hard, right? But I also think that this, you know, dealing with this and, and, and answering the call of like online teaching and, you know, still trying to be um, here for your students. The things that ground your teaching in person should also ground your teaching online. You know, so many people uh, find excuses about why they can't do this and, and you know, what, what I can't do because of this, you know, pandemic. Oh, it's not a pandemic, but it's a pandemic because of the pandemic. Um, but the things that ground my teaching are community. Uh, we need to do some writing. We need to do some reading. We need to do some sharing. And so these things, I just have to figure out how to do them online. And so I have, you know, um, I figured out how to edit the master in Google Slides and make handouts. And, you know, we're doing Zoom and getting together. And also, um, I've been texting a lot of students um, who have graduated and just checking in, making sure that they're fine and that they're okay. And so also um, when teachers are kind of making excuses about why they can't do the thing, like I get it, I do, I understand totally. Um, you just have to remind them, look, the things that ground who you are, that ground your practice, needs to always ground your practice. And so just figure out, and I've also, I've also um, tried to figure out ways to be supportive and helping them, you know, come up with assignments and, you know, um, creative ways to get them talking, you know, to come off mute. Um, but 
we just have to to deal with these moments and not make excuses for why we can't answer the call. We've been answering the call through all sorts of trauma, including racial uh, racial trauma. And so we just have to continue to press, press on. Um, I had one, maybe one additional question. Um, thinking about implications for teachers who are teaching more heterogeneous populations. So um, at West, predominantly black students. Um, what are implications for folks who are teaching maybe a smaller number of African-American students or none at all? Um, how do they bring this into their classroom? That's a great question, Hillary. That's, that is the question. Um, and so, it kind of goes back to this idea that I'm not just bringing in black literature because I got black students, you know, I, I have studied black literature and black texts and black authors and I respect the the ways that they do texts, you know, um, for different reasons right and so um, what we have to do is no matter who who we're teaching right the black experience is the american experience it's a part of it and so we have to remind um our students whoever they are that yeah we're not just reading this because it's a black book or because it deals with black issues right these are our issues these are our issues that we need to grapple with together regardless and you know the same ways that we talk about Shakespeare and the beautiful language that he has been able to create and 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 um, invent right do that for black authors who have done the same thing. I think about uh, Lil Wayne, which I'm not really trying to mess with him right now because, you know, Trump, but, um, you know, I think about how he's created language. And so we have this same, we do the same things with language because it's, it's universal to our humanness. And so whoever you're teaching, I'm bringing these texts in here because I believe in them. My content knowledge is strong in them. Um, I can I can teach you how to analyze, synthesize, uh, you know, evaluate all those verbs that we have to do in Bloom's taxonomy. I can do all of that with whatever text that is in front of me. And that is what a strong teacher does. They're not just bringing in literature because, oh, you know, these things are happening in the world. We need some literature to reflect that. It's very important to do that, but it needs to be an, an integral part of the everyday teaching and learning that we do, regardless of our population. Um, these texts have something very rich to add to who we are, all of us as literate beings. And so we have to be um, diligent in learning what those texts are exploring what those texts are and really you know gaining the knowledge we need to be able to model for our students the thinking and the learning around those texts regardless of who our students are so i so much appreciate this conversation as and as we've uh, we're kind of nearing the one hour mark so we're, we're at a good point to to close it off and so so i want to just invite folks to maybe share one big takeaway. And again, thank you Latrice for sharing um, so much of the thinking and the and the backstory behind this, this awesome piece that we're looking forward to annotating and, and discussing online. 
during the month of April. So thank you so much. And then I want to invite last questions from uh, or last takeaways from Ramey, Hillary, and then I'll share what I'm walking away with as well. I'll just say uh, thank you so much again, Latrice, and please pass again our, our uh, sincere note of gratitude along to Hannah as well, and again Hillary for joining us as as our reader in our conversation today. Um, you know, there's this just a beautiful line towards the end of the piece about inviting students to write themselves into teaching and learning landscapes, and I'm going to just. I'm going to just sit with that and share that and think on that uh, and, and, and also annotate that as we move parts of this conversation into a kind of a digital companion online over you know, the weeks and maybe months to come. But thank you again so much for sharing your wisdom uh, with the marginal syllabus community. Um, I am walking away with, um, with so much, but I think I love that its rootedness in the in the writing itself and all the ways that writing and conversation about writing um, can show up and can be encouraged to show up even in in digital spaces. Um, so thank you so much for your work. Thank you, Hannah, as well. Uh, and thank you for allowing me to be here and participate. Thank you all so much. Um, you've all given me so much to think about, you know, with this work. Um, it's always going and you know changing and um, changing according to context and whoever i'm teaching at the moment but i really appreciate um, the ways that you've read um read me you know um, and then read the work um i'm so grateful to be able to to share with others in this and also am i allowed to uh, participate in the annotation always always very awesome. welcome very welcome. Yeah, very much so. And if you have any questions about how to do that, we'll be happy to help you. And uh, and my, I think my last thought is just I'm I'm just so appreciative. Kind of to jump back to Ramy's question about the pandemic and all that that our country is grappling with right now. And just I, I think this piece gives me hope because of you know, a, the way it revisits the the potential for creative writing and what texts might do when they, you know, when the texts we choose can act as mentors. And, uh, you know, I, I very much, uh, we could have talked more about it, but um, some of my favorite moments were just the allusions to what the assignments were, which were very, you know, departures from some traditional instruction, also with rich um, examples of student voice. And so just a, an appreciation for how creative writing seems to, have such potential to do powerful, important work for students in this moment. And the idea that we can, you know, think anew with some, some powerful mentor texts that will serve particularly black students. And this piece is such a, such an awesome guide for helping us think more about that and, and take risks in doing so. So thank you so much, Latrice. Thank you, Hillary, for joining us. And, and thanks everyone who's watching. Um, finally, so last word here is that, uh, Revealing the Human and the Writer, The Promise of a Humanizing Writing Pedagogy for Black Students will be online during April and accessible for participant annotations at educatorinnovator.org. Please follow us using the hashtag marginal syllabus. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.